The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. This morning, these questions are paired with one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning with the 16th verse. Listen now for God's word to you. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making this appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In contemplating the view from here in 2022, the first thing that comes to mind in an exceedingly joyful way is your faces. <laughs> For the past two years, the pandemic meant that I preached this sermon to an empty sanctuary looking out on a very quiet street. Today, standing in the pulpit, my eyes take in what many American Christians are now calling hybrid church. Hybrid church is a newly coined phrase for a congregation that is split between in-person and online worship. And hybrid church, by its very nature, raises all sorts of interesting questions. What does it mean for a congregation in New York to have members in Miami, Los Angeles, and Dallas? What does it mean that there are worshipers right now in Hudson, Wisconsin, Castine, Maine, and Madrid, Spain? What does it mean to have 300 people in this large sanctuary on a good Sunday and more than 1,000 praying and singing online? Is hybrid church the new normal? Where is all this headed? The quick answer is, I'm not entirely sure. 
I do know, though, that it's taken a tremendous amount of work to get to this place. Our staff and our deacons, elders, and trustees have been amazing in pivoting to and living into this new model. In person and online, you have supported our efforts with encouraging notes. I have an entire stack of those and with critical financial underpinning. Thank you. Bless you. We could not have done it without you. Moving to hybrid church has proven to be an expensive and an exhausting endeavor, but it also felt right, good, appropriate to the day. And yes, hybrid church has certainly kept us on our toes. We've had no other choice. Every time virus levels go up with every new variant, this church sees shifts in where, when, and how people choose to plug in. And that makes sense. We've all become practiced over the last 24 months, weighing our own health circumstances, the health of those we live and, and work alongside, and, and local virus levels as we make our decisions. Decisions that we, we've often had to toss out the window with little notice. The last two years have taught us the truth of an ancient proverb, one found in Aesop's fables, the Jewish Talmud, and the Tao Te Ching. It's better to be a reed that bends in the storm than a tree that breaks in the wind. And, and with this wisdom in mind, Fifth Avenue has already planned a robust in-person and online set of programs for this coming fall. So much good and important stuff is in the pipeline. The staff and the education committees have just been amazing. At the same time, we are resolved to keep bending with the wind, to keep speaking the good news of Jesus Christ in ways that are engaging and that make sense given the changing realities of the world in which we live. I'm so proud of how this church has navigated these waters thus far, and I look forward to the next stage of the journey with you. As we contemplate what is coming next, I'd like us to consider three vistas of our riven world this morning. I wanna talk briefly with you about a movie, a song, and a memorial for a friend of this church. That, my friends, is what's on the menu today. Three things that evoke the view from here in 2022, and then we'll sing, thank you, maestro, my favorite hymn. Let's start with the film. The most fascinating, fun, and historically gripping movie I watched this past year has got to be Quest Love's The Summer of Soul, winner of the Academy Award for Best Documentary. I commend it to you highly. Questlove assembled this film from mothballed and largely forgotten footage of the Harlem Cultural Festival. 
In, in the summer of 1969, the, the same year that, that Woodstock was happening some 100 miles further to the north, the Harlem Cultural Festival took place here in New York at what is now called Marcus Garvey Park. The festival was a six-week series of outdoor concerts that showcased a remarkable cross-section of African-American musical talent. It's worth watching just to see a very young Stevie Wonder whose singing, drumming, and exuberant keyboard playing makes me just shake my head in awe. It's worth watching to see Gladys Knight and the Pips, a youthful B.B. King, and the Fifth Dimension, a group that recorded The Age of Aquarius, a song so utterly 60s in its vibe, heralding, uh, somewhat prematurely, the dawning of harmony and understanding. It's worth watching to hear the pain voiced by Nina Simone, an artist whose song, Backlash Blues, calls out policies of segregation and society's mistreatment of black, yellow, beige, and brown people. It's worth watching to listen to the Staple Sisters and other gospel artists, including the incomparable Mahalia Jackson, who sang Precious Lord at Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. In fact, Questlove uses Mahalia Jackson's performance to get viewers thinking about the historical context of the Harlem Cultural Festival. The summer of 1969 came in the midst of the Vietnam War. As unrest spread across college campuses and, and roiled America's cities, the summer of 1969 came on the heels of four assassinations that rocked this country to its core. President John F. Kennedy in 1963, Malcolm X in 1965, and then both Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy in 1968. Promoters build the concert as, as a testament to the, to the healing power of music during times of unrest. And we cherish that about the arts, don't we? The arts have the power to hold on to us, to, to sustain us and, and ground us in the midst of life's traumas. How do they do that? Well, first off, I think they do it by being honest. Every one of the artists who stood before those crowds at the Harlem Festival was aware that this country looked to be about ready to tear itself apart in 69. Issues surrounding racial segregation, inner city poverty, and the steady stream of caskets coming home from a very unpopular war left America bloodied, angry, and afraid. The musicians who gathered in Harlem did not deny these realities. They drew attention to that brokenness. They spoke into the pain. They lamented. 
And then, like Mahalia, these artists pointed to places where solidarity and strength could be found, courage for facing hard times. They, they sketched maps with their music, paths for, for moving forward. In, in all this, I, I was particularly taken by Sly and the Family Stone, who rocked the concert with their hit, Everyday People. Now, Everyday People is a song that could easily be dismissed as naive and idealistic. Its lyrics are so simple. While Sly sings, we got to live together, his sister, Rose Stone, croons nursery rhyme verses to the cadence of the child's taunt, na-na-na-na-boo-boo. There is a blue one who can't accept a green one for living with a fat one, trying to be a skinny one. Different strokes for different folks, and so on and so on, and Scooby-Dooby-Doo, we got to live together. It's easy to criticize this music for being childlike in the face of enormous problems facing America in 1969, and some did exactly that, but still, this song, written by Sly Stone, a man with deeply religious roots, rocketed to the top of both the soul and the billboard charts. Why? Was it because people wanted cheery ditties and not hard-hitting analysis with their R&B riffs? Was it because no one wanted to face how torn up things really were? Or was everyday people popular because the song conveyed its truths in, dare I say it, a sly manner, taking people back to the basics, back to kindergarten, back to Sunday school? Everyday people points listeners to bedrock moral lessons that we all learned as five-year-olds. Racial discrimination is wrong. Prejudice leads to taunting, which leads to hate, which leads to violence. Until we transcend na-na-na-na-boo-boo, until we learn to respect each other's differences, until we truly love our neighbors, we have no chance escaping the deep troubles we've woven for ourselves. In today's text, the Apostle Paul challenges Christians on this. He says, from now on, we view no one from a human point of view. Now, now Paul's assignment sounds impossible. How can you avoid taking a human point of view on things? We can't escape who we are. And by the way, we, we sort of like our na-na-na-na-boo-boo lives. That, says the apostle, is killing you. Listen closely, he instructs. There's a way out of this, but first you're going to have to get yourself a new set of eyes. You must discard your angry, embittered, cynical eyes. You must cast off lenses tainted by indifference, vanity, and apathy. You have to stop, says Paul, stop being such a willing cog in society's rage machine 
and become God's new creation. To do this, to, to, to look at the world in a new way, the apostle exhorts, you are going to need Christ's eyes. Now what does it mean to, to look at the world through Christ's eyes? Well, that brings me to the song part of the sermon. And I know I've already been talking about it, singing, but one more. My son Oliver, who graduated from high school this past Thursday, cue the pride and the parental tears, who was big enough to be carried around by Greg Dow when we first moved to New York 14 years ago, and who is now big enough to carry Greg Dow around, attended prom this past week with a group of his friends. Now the dancing at prom, as Oliver described, it was quite exuberant. All sorts of kids, even or maybe especially typically quiet kids, let loose on the floor to celebrate having overcome so many challenges to complete this leg on life's journey. According to Oliver, the, the wildest dancing came when the DJ queued up Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off. Players got to play, 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 and the haters gonna hate, hate, hate. Baby, I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. See, I, I, I just kind of chanted that. You know why. The floor flooded for Swift's song. Students shook so vigorously that eyeglasses and boutonnieres went flying through the air. Ollie reported that one person at his table later contained of complained of, of neck pain, so much shaking. Now, I don't want to go too deep with this, but I find it fascinating that this song, this glittery, highly produced ode to resilience, was the song that pulled most of the class of 2022 onto the floor to thrash in agreement. If young people, having evaluated this messy world, are resolved to stop perpetuating cycles of hate, to resist pouring their precious energies into pointless social media kerfuffles, and instead are looking to embrace creative opportunities to move the needle on the world's problems, then there is reason to hope indeed. In today's text, the Apostle Paul challenges Christians to see people, all people, as Jesus sees them. This is the Bible's shake-it-off moment. When we look at the world through Christ's eyes, we stop filling our scrapbooks with clippings of resentment, and we start rolling bandages. We, when we look at the world through Christ's eyes, we, we stop dwelling on distractions and nastiness, and we throw ourselves into working towards solutions. People of faith, this is our calling. God has given us, all of us, says the Apostle Paul, the ministry of of reconciliation. 
Now, what does it mean to be charged <laughs> with carrying out the ministry of reconciliation? Uh, actually, you ask me that kind of question all the time, it, it, although you tend to put it like this. Scott, what can I do to make a difference? So I want to conclude today by telling you a story that describes how an act of reconciliation made a difference and started a cascade of hope, a cascade that has touched scores of people, including all of you. So this past week, Kate sent me a picture that she took of a spontaneous memorial to Tyrone Harding that appeared in a doorway across the street here, across 55th, sort of near La Bonne Soup. And I've included a picture of this poignant display on the cover of your bulletin today. And this morning, I want to tell you something of Tyrone's story. Because Tyrone Harding's story is also this church's story, is also God's story. In the early 2000s, Tyrone Harding was homeless, living on the streets of New York. And during that time, Tyrone met Joe Vidella, the director of Fifth Avenue's shelter at the time. Joe worked to get Tyrone a shelter bed and then into transitional housing. Uh, Tyrone remained, however, a fixture out here on 55th Street. He ran errands for people in this neighborhood. He walked people's dogs. And, and many's the time that walking along 55th Street, I saw Tyrone sitting on this very step with a cup of coffee and a small gray dog at his side, greeting everyone who was moving up and down the sidewalk. Fast forward now with me to 2012. Tyrone was sitting on that same stoop when a couple stopped and began to speak with him. They pointed up at our brownstone building and asked, does that church over there ever do anything to help the homeless? And Tyrone immediately replied, oh yes. He proceeded to describe how Joe had helped him get into shelter and eventually permanent housing. Now what Tyrone didn't know is that he was part of some savvy street research being done by a foundation, a foundation that was checking out our church's outreach ministries, a foundation that would soon provide seed money for our winter housing initiative, and eventually seed money for the ecumenical outreach par partnership that we now host with St. Patrick's Cathedral and St. Thomas Episcopal, a program that provides food and clothing and counseling and social services and medical care to those in need right off the street, right outside our doors. I, I tell you this story because, because we're going to miss Tyrone's warmth here on 55th. But I also tell you this story because the gentle fellow who just may have blessed you with a smile someday while you were walking to church also managed to bless countless other people. Tyrone was a key link in the chain of God's reconciling work. You can see it, can't you? 
Joe blessed Tyrone. Tyrone blessed this church. And because of that blessing, a, a foundation blessed, a sprout of, of ministry here, a seedling that, is, that has grown with your encouragement and support into a sheltering tree that touches the lives of more and more of God's children every day. And that, my friends, is the view from here. In 2022, the view from here takes in a Harlem concert held in 1969 in the, in the midst of historic national turmoil, a gathering of artists whose music inspired hope and change. And it takes in a frenzied prom dance, a pop song that advocates for energies to be focused not on spreading more vitriol, but on making a difference. And it takes in flowers and a little stuffed dog gently placed on a New York door stoop. A testimony to just how connected we all are in this world to each other and to God's reconciling love. So, yes, I know, <laughs> the view from here is complicated. A terrible war rages in Ukraine. Demonic gun violence threatens our schools and churches and other public spaces. Our politics are mired in na-na-na-na-boo-boo and the persistent denial of basic truth. While at the same time, inflation rages and viral variants still surge, it's been one heck of a tough season. Looking out those doors is not for the faint of heart. And yet, that is precisely what God asks us to do. Look. Look with hearts shaped by faith. Look with the eyes of Christ. My friends, God loves that messed up world. And that's why God sends people of faith out into it to tackle the mess that humanity has wrought, to redress wrongs, bind wounds, and build bridges forged from grace. God has given us, all of us, says Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. This is our sacred calling as we sing and pray, as we study and serve, as we look out those clear glass doors. That is the view that we get from here. Hear now the benediction. Christ, says the Apostle Paul, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, go forth into the world God loves 
have courage, hold fast to what is good, do not return evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Amen.